Baby Rog might have to have a name change to another player. Is that allowed? Can that happen? And I don't think you can well, change. Don't think you can change the name. Let me describe. Oh well, no! I mean, his actual name isn't Roger. <laughs> it is to me. <laughs> his actual name is different. But um, yeah, let me explain the behaviour to you, and then you can tell me what you think. Because I think his name should now be Baby Fernando. Oh, <laughs> which. Which is hilarious because he is uh, incredibly pale, uh, a little bit ginger. It's not quite rocking the Fernando sort of <laughs> vibe. We are talking about Fernando Vadasco here. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, so he's, so I mean, I'm sure you had this with your boys, right? They, they, he just, he can't quite speak yet, but it makes noises. And he's discovered how to sort of oh, roar wow. because other kids have been holding dinosaurs at him and going, okay, that's good. So he does this sort of roaring thing. And then he's also sort of obsessed with his hands. He's only nine months old. So uh, he's he's sort of obsessed with his hands. Uh, And so he does this thing where uh, we sort of, um, he's standing up against an ottoman. I've been desperately trying to get a video of it over the last week because it's hilarious. Uh, He stands up against this this sort of um, soft ottoman thing and he just has to hold on with one hand to keep himself upright. But he's got this like wide stance and he's sort of bent down a bit. He's holding (laughs) on to the ottoman and then he he lifts his hand, his arm out straight and his hand out wide to me. And then he just starts roaring going, ah, and it's the Fernando Vadasco celebration. That's what he does when he wins matches. And he looks exactly like him. And anyways, I was cracking up, trying to explain this to my husband, who you know, he's, he's not the biggest tennis fan. He likes tennis, but he just, just looked puzzled. He's like, I don't understand why this is so funny. And I got him a video up of Vadasco doing it and everything. And he's like, I don't understand why this is so funny. So anyways, lost on him. Maybe the tennis listeners will find it amusing. But I now have a baby that four or five times a day will look at me with such intensity and just deliver the Fernando Vadasco celebration after winning a five-set Wow. I mean, it, do, you think he's gonna, do you think he's going to be a lefty? <laughs> Yes, he's definitely a lefty. <laughs> if you can tell that at this age, he does everything with his left hand. So, uh, yeah, we might have a, yeah, a Vadasco. I mean, I tell you what, if he ends up being a bit like Vadasco in terms of the career he's had. What? what, what Vadasco sure will have a lovely seven time. career title. I, you see, I still think baby Rog would be, would be better. But, but, but if he's, <laughs> if, 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 well, he's, if he's taking on the form of Vadasco, if he's already got the... Has he seen any Vadasco videos? I mean... This, is this literally translating oh a, a dinosaur roar into a Vadasco roar? Yeah, it, it's definitely coincidental. I did have to think back because I have watched, you know, tennis has been on in the background and he doesn't really pay too much attention to it. Some, but he likes his own tennis ball. That's his favourite toy, his wow, tennis ball. Okay. Um, so, you know, he's there and he's sort of you know, throwing this ball around left-handed and then just going... <laughs> <laughs> have you played Vadasco to him? So have you played the Vadasco roar to baby Vadasco? No, uh, I I haven't. No, I only play, played it to my husband. And I was really... You know when you just find something so funny and you're really expecting a response? <laughs> it, and it, it was the wrong audience. It was the wrong audience. On so his was, face. I think I, I want know. you to play the, the, the actual Vadasco roar to baby Fernando okay. and see if baby Fernando sort of mirrors it and roars back as if he's saying... <laughs> as if he sort of starts having a conversation with Vadasco thinking they're actually communicating. It could be kindred spirits. This. You never know. This he could amazing. be the uh, the pasty ginger version <laughs> of Dasco. We shall see. This is this is big breaking news. Baby Rogers come baby Fernando. I love this. 
there you go. So that was, uh, that. <laughs> to be honest, it's ridiculous, isn't it? We're halfway through the US Open. So much going on. We weren't able to record last week. And my one item that I wanted to get in, <laughs> I was like, I've got this really important thing to do. I was like, this is it. This has to go in. doesn't matter about anything else This, this is going top. This <laughs> is going go. top of the podcast. Well, my initial thing to say on the podcast was, I'm wondering if I'm in your hotel room. Could that be a thing? Possibly. Oh. Oh, oh no! What did I leave? Because <laughs> we've we've literally switched. <laughs> did I leave? So, did I leave something? We've on the mirror? a message. Have fun, because uh, we've literally switched, haven't we? We have. Well, yes. I mean, I was filling in for you because you were otherwise preoccupied with uh, Paralympicsing. Um, one of those years where, well, when the Paralympics is on, it sort of does clash with the US Open, doesn't it? So, um, yeah. So you were busy for the first few days, so I, uh, I, I stepped in, and hopefully, I kept your seat. It warm. was very warm. It was, it was very warm and wonderful. <laughs> and but I, I'm, I think I'm still in a bit of a daze. I'm genuinely. If someone said to me, "What day is it?" I would have to think. If someone said, "What time it is?" What time is it? I'd have mm. to think. And and everything. You know, when your eyes just everything's a bit hazy your eyes a little bit kind of because you just you haven't yeah I'm, I'm a little bit there I'm still sort of digesting the Paralympics which was amazing I mean I, I was really very focused on the wheelchair tennis but I managed to um, catch up on some of the other events but the, just the wheelchair tennis that I'm still so gutted for the British pair of Gordon Reed and Alfie Hewitt who were on for the Golden Slam and we know only Steffi Graf has done the Golden Slam and normally a Paralympian can't do the Golden Slam because the dates clash. So you choose the Paralympics. Yeah, with you the choose US the Open. US Open. They choose the Paralympics. You can't do a Golden Slam. Everything fell so it was possible. And I should still say that going to the US Open, Dida de Groot and Dylan Alcott and their respective singles can still do it. But Alfie and Gordon were on for it in the doubles. They'd only lost two doubles matches all year. It's a repeat of the Rio final. They're playing the French pair who beat them in Rio. The French pair beat them again. It was, the tennis level was off the charts. It was, ext- there was a shot from Alfie Hewitt that is going to be the shot of the year. Nothing is going to come close to it. It was extraordinary, but it was the French pair that crossed the finish line. I know, I know, but we will remember that oh. shot for some time. I mean, he looked nowhere near it. Ended up in the boards. Um, didn't even seem fussed. He just sort of, I think he knew he was like, right, I'm going to use these boards to stop me. And they did. And they <laughs> That's did. That's going to slow me down. <laughs> that was it. You would have had Djokovic fail at his attempt at the Golden Slam. The boys, the British boys, fail at their attempt at the Golden Slam. And then that would be three out of three. I'm pretty sure that one or both of Dida de Groot and Dylan Alcott will complete their respective Golden Slams because they have just been phenomenal phenomenal this year um, just watching them through this tournament as well but the boys can still do the calendar slam in doubles and then there's this this and it's probably the wrong place to get into it this this classification cloud hanging over Alfie Hewitt he the classifications have changed and he they say his disability is not severe enough for him to continue as a professional wheelchair athlete so this could be his final year as a professional wheelchair athlete. Imagine that hanging over your head. And it's been your career. It's been your life. He's been in and using a wheelchair since the age of, what, I think seven years old. He had Perthes disease, which affected the hip. To know that at the end of this year, I think there's a, there's a glimmer of hope with a review, but your career could be over. But to channel that... And to do what he's done this year on the singles and the doubles court, it's been incredible. Yeah, I know. Amazing to watch. Uh, you know, I just, 
I love watching them. I was trying to get some sleep though because I was doing New York Times <laughs> and Tokyo Times and then living in the UK at the time was quite, it was a bit bit much to sort of tick them all off. But I caught up on all of your highlights every morning. Actually, and then some of them were late enough that I was, because I had a lion and some of them were actually late enough for me to just uh, to just watch. So um, yeah, I mean, such a high level of, of, of tournament once again. And uh, yeah, can't wait to see them in New York. So they literally, they have to just, fly straight to New York. They're probably there already, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, and, and it was that, that strange thing that towards the end of the tournament, because an Alfie and Gordon faced off for the bronze medal match, which was just difficult, emotional, strange, weird. Gordon Reed, who took the bronze said afterwards, that's probably the worst match either of us will ever have to play. But there was hardly anyone around because with COVID times, as soon as your event is finished, so for me at the Olympics, as soon as the tennis event finished, how quickly can we put her on a plane <laughs> and get her out of here? And that was the same for the athletes. There was no hanging around... Mm. And kind of having a party at the end, it was pretty much, oh, right, you're done. Okay, goodbye. And so it was It was sort of quite eerie. There weren't that many people around towards the end. But yeah, pretty much for those, for the elite athletes in the wheelchair tennis categories, it was, that's done, get on a plane, get to New York and go again. And I wasn't sure whether, look, I've never and never will be a professional athlete. Maybe you'll have a different opinion. But my opinion was, I think it's quite good it's so quick because you carry the momentum. So either if you're disappointed, you don't have too long to think and you get on with it. Or if you win it, you carry that on into the next tournament. And also, all the other athletes are in the same boat. It's not like they've been there for three weeks practicing at Flushing Meadows. But then I heard views of athletes who said, well, that's the worst possible thing because all that traveling, the tiredness, that's just, it's horrible, the closeness of the two. Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably quick to, it's good to go quicker. Um, you just sort of just, you keep going, go, going on fumes. It's absolutely fine. It's nearing nearing uh, the end of the season. And of course, such a big push with combination of Paralympics. And they're just going to be walking into the madness that has been the US Open. Because of course, they've gone from no crowds, they'll go to full crowds. And then just what has been going on in this tournament? The- <laughs> The amount of deciding set matches and just 18-year-olds. And it's just been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, what an extraordinary week. And I know everybody's saying it on, on social media. It's quite an obvious thing to say. But, you know, going into the slam thinking, oh, no Rog, no Rafa, no Serena. You know, what's it going to be like? Is Djokovic just going to waltz to the title? He, he still may waltz to the title, but no one really cares at the moment. Because we're just sort of like, no... He'll be he'll he'll get there. He'll be fine. Um, it, it's everything else going on. It's been absolutely incredible. I don't know if if one particular story has stood out to you, but because do you know what? On day two, I was concerned that the main talking point from the US Open was going to continue to be toilet breaks, and I was like, that's not ideal. I'd rather something more interesting happens than than the loo break situation. And my word, it, it's unbelievable. But isn't it strange that that sits passes. Uh, vacation in the toilets seems seems a lifetime ago. I mean, it, absolutely. Yeah, this happens in slams all the time, doesn't it? That it just seems so long, and we're not even at the end yet. It's not even still in the tournament. I mean, it, it just so yeah. much, so much has happened. And when we were trying to figure out when we could record this podcast between ridiculous hours that we were both working opposite hours, and then switching me come up here and you going back to baby Rog slash Fernando, it was. It was another day and it was another story and it was another incredible day at the US Open. And it was it was a bit head scratch. But in terms of, wow, stories from the first, I was a little bit like you. I found it hard to 
to watch any of it because of basically when it was really getting going, I was either asleep during the day or then with the boys and then asleep and then getting back up. So I was really sort of looking at social media and keeping an eye on results. When it comes to the toilet thing, quickly on that, I don't I don't know. I imagine you were asked a lot about it at the time. I, I, I don't think Sitzpass did anything wrong. I don't think it's ideal, but it's not illegal. People take different amounts of time in the toilet. So it's and Sitsipas lives in Sitsipas's world I, I don't think there was I don't think he was thinking I'm going to do this or I will do this to to get an advantage I might be completely wrong and very naive but my take was it wasn't ideal but then he wasn't essentially doing anything wrong yeah I mean I really did start feeling for Sitsipas with the whole situation because that that rule has been in place and has been as flimsy as it is for however long it's been. I mean, I, I played one match where the, the my opponent took a 13-minute toilet break. Like, it just... It, it's it's always been a thing. You, you can tell by the reactions of other players. They, you know, they're, they're all kind of like, yeah, it should change. The rule should change. Um, and it's not really his fault. And then in the last match, he'd clearly probably just been told, look, you need to go quicker or go to this loo closer. And he was he was fine. Um, so I did feel for him because he wasn't really doing anything, but you know what, that New York crowd, you know, plenty, the first few days, everyone go, Oh, we've missed them so much, but you get on their bad side. They will come down on you. That is for sure. And, uh, you know, it it was just sort of unfortunate that it was at in the New York crowd as well, because they particularly just got on board and, you know, we saw how they love to hate Medvedev and I think they sort of love to hate him. If he had carried on winning, they would have been right behind him again. But, um, yeah, it was uh, is a big thing. Look, I mean, I th- everybody said everything needs to be said at, at this point. As I say, we are recording this quite a few days after, but um, yeah, the the rule should tighten up. It, you know, it just it sh- it should tighten up a little bit. Um, you know, players should be made to at least be shown to hurry around, as in sort of jog off and jog back. You can't just take two minutes picking up your bag and getting stuff ready. I mean, there's 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 so many ways of, of doing it. And I think Sloane Stevens put it best when she was like, okay, well, you're taking a minute off the warm-up. You're introducing the shot clock, all trying to shave off a few seconds here and there whenever you can. But then you'll just let somebody walk off court for 10 minutes. It just doesn't seem right. So, yeah, I, I think they should address it. I, but I also, I haven't really spoken to any um, officials from ATP, WTA, ITF, because... Uh, and I haven't heard anything that they have to say because I sort of feel like there's a reason they haven't sorted it before. There must be something that they don't want. There must be something that they're saying, ah, oh, we can't really put a, a, a more stringent rule here because uh, otherwise they would have. Players have been complaining about this for forever. This is not new. It's just it happened to be Andy Murray. It happened to be the New York crowd and it happened to gain quite a lot of momentum. Maybe it's a hard thing to put a time on because everybody's... You've spoken in, in a past pod about... What was it having a... What was it? A, a sweaty sports bra contest in terms of timing yeah. because everything is completely stuck to it. And we've all been in a situation where we've had to peel off clothes and, it, and it's taken a long time. And maybe they just think everyone's different. And if you're doing a combination of going to the toilet and changing your clothes, then can you, I don't know, is it possible to put a time on that? And then are you going to get penalised because you couldn't peel off an underlayer and get another one on in time? It's a... I think it but why should you why the thing is is that I mean look I'm not super involved in other sports um but for example you've watched enough football games they have half time and I, I understand what Andy was saying that it breaks the momentum and all that sort of stuff but 
a lot of other sports have lots of gaps and there, there there must be there must be games over the years that you know all the momentum with a team at half time or for the first half and then at half time it just totally killed it and switched it round so like it's all it is a part of it you know your opponent is allowed to take two toilet breaks i suppose the the point is that half time is a fixed amount of time and yeah you could argue well somebody wants to take a bit longer well you can't <laughs> it's it's going to start without you and it's going to cause some serious issues um and so i do think they can be a bit stricter with time and it's just more the fact that you're at the mercy of your opponent yeah, that's yeah. the the difficulty is just like it's up to them when they break the momentum it's quite clearly at the moment up to them how long they take so that just those two things I think need to they need to change really but um but you know breaks in momentum whilst incredibly frustrating happened to me all the time I hated it any long loo break any treatment that my opponent got oh it was awful I could just barely play afterwards it took me a couple of games to recover and that's the problem is this is what happened to Andy it takes you a couple of games to find your level again but he'd already been broken so that you you're in such a tough situation so I get it but like it's also part of sport and it's part of every sport but surely the other players also going to find their momentum and rhythm because they've also taken a break yes they're the one that decided to take a break but they still had that momentum stopped wherever it was so their sits pass is still having to come back on after 13 minutes and find his level again yeah it's just that it's at his like it's up to him that's the thing is that the opponent is out there and they don't really know what to do with themselves you see them walking around they might hit a few serves you know really what they want to do is keep warm and the only way to do that is to really continue playing but it's not like they can they can get a hitter out to just start hitting with them up and down maybe that's something they could be able to do just get their coach on court and we've seen um players ask ball kids to feed them shots in uh, in breaks, maybe not at a slam, but definitely at lower level events, they've got a ball kid out and given them a racket and said, "Just feed me some forehands. That's fine. I'll work on my game whilst they're gone and stuff." Maybe you you should be able to get a hitter out on court and strike a few for eight minutes, and that that's the only way you'd stay warm because you know they hit a few serves. But what what else can you do? I mean, they're not going to start doing like shuttle sprints. Not going to do suicides along the court. Um, that they just waste energy. Whereas if they were having a nice gentle hit, they'd still keep their rhythm. Keep that. Yeah, I don't know. It's, Maybe that's the way. For, oh, I don't know. They got to do something about it. It's but. interesting that uh, we've both been working with Naomi Brody for Five Live in the US Open coverage, and it was my first night last night. But as soon as um, Leila Fernandez and the match we were doing, she wanted to be Angelique Kerber left the court. She started her stopwatch, and I said, "Have you ever done that before this tournament?" She's like, "No, just timing now." If we're aware of it, you imagine the players must be very aware of the time they're taking away because after each we were like, right, that was three minutes. Okay, that was quick. That was a minute and a half. And so it's it's something that I imagine the players are very aware of at the moment. But as you say, that that feels like a lifetime ago, although it's still sort of bubbling under the surface. And I think it's interesting that normally we talk about how steady the men's draw is. And the, the big players, the big fellas, they make their way through to the latter stages and there might be the odd upset. And the women's, it's chaos and there's everyone and it's all happening. And you look at the round of 16, the US Open, nine of the men's seeds in the round of 16, that is the fewest at a Grand Slam round of 16 since Wimbledon 2013, the fewest at the US Open since 2005. You flip it to the women's, 12 seeds made it through to the round of a 16. So more stability despite losing mm. some big players and Ash Barty world number one gone now when we did the discussion about 
if today we were handing out the player of the year and I went to Barbora Krejcikova and you went to Ash Barty, I got a few messages on social media saying, what is it you've got against Ash? And absolutely nothing. I think she's phenomenal. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say, I think she's phenomenal. I love watching her play. I love listening to her. What a, a lovely person she is and how wonderful she's done at the top of the game. I was just saying, personally for me, it would be Krejcikova because of what she has done and and what she continues to do. And it's mind-blowing to think that this is her US Open main draw debut. Yeah, I mean, didn't I send you a message a couple of days ago after she won another match? Maybe she won her second round or third round or something. And just like so clinical. I know her last match wasn't as clinical and she had some health issues on court, but I think my message was, what even is this Krejcikov a run? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. And it's just like, oh, she's just world-class now and that's just it. But um, going back to your point in terms of the difference in the, the draws, so if you had said to me, and I still do think there's something in this, but the draw, it's so higgledy-piggledy on the men's side, I would say that's down to the rankings and the fact that you still have somebody like Dimitrov ranked, uh, sorry, seeded, yeah, yeah. Uh, Monfils seeded. You still have players that are woefully out of form. I mean, woefully out of form and in the race are like 100 or plus and they're seeded. And, you know, it's one thing being 100 in the race and seeded at the Australian Open because the race has only just begun. But we are you know, <laughs> at the last slam of the year and that makes... A big difference in that there are a number of players who are not seeded who should be seeded uh, and there are some that are far higher than they should be and that and if they if you get somebody seeded 27 who probably shouldn't be seeded anymore and somebody seeded uh, 14 who shouldn't be seeded anymore and they're both in the same section well phew, what an opening that is for somebody who's been playing well and it isn't isn't seeded so I do think that has something to do with it but then that is the case on the women's side but then maybe it's because with normal rankings the women's is chaos as you were saying and completely higgledy-piggledy and maybe now <laughs> with all all the seeds the the new ranking systems changed it I do think there is um uh, that is a big part of it because there are players who have had such a phenomenal year and you're you're looking at their ranking going, wow, really? Only that? Okay, fine. And then you've got others where you're thinking you've barely won a match, <clears throat> Dimitrov and Monfils, and <laughs> you're still seated. You know, like, so it is, um, I do think there's something in it. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, the women's is, I mean, those third rounds, I think Simona Halep said it, they could all be semi-finals. Absolutely. Unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, it's been really good fun to have that combination of the breakthroughs, the big names, the quality, just the quality of tennis. Oh, it's been phenomenal. It's been brilliant. It's been absolutely phenomenal. I, I think it does make a difference having these these big, raucous crowds. You can see that players are, are thriving under those crowds and it can make a difference. And on both sides, we've got the stories. Both sides, the men's, we've got Carlos Alcaraz. I know everyone's been saying, He's going to be amazing. He's going to be huge. He's going to be enormous. But he seems to have arrived. Well, and then some, right? The way he... I mean, Sitspass is there saying... And I know Sitspass can... It takes losses very badly, especially a loss like that. Um, but for him to say that, you know, just nobody hits the ball like he does. I mean, it was so hard. And I've... The thing is, is that I've seen him play a few times and I've seen him play on clay. And I can totally understand what everybody's saying. And I'm like, yes, this guy's going to be brilliant. He's going to be top 10. I was, you know, 
totally there. But I hadn't actually seen him play on a quicker surface. Um, and I know that he... Oh, actually, I did see him play at Wimbledon. Um, but to see him sort of adapt his game like that and just being able to hit through the ball so much was just... Um, you know, these are fairly quick hard courts we've got going on and you're playing against somebody who loves serve and first strike. I know Sitsipas has not quite been at his best since he lost at the French Open. That was a tough loss to take. So unfortunately, I think this is only going to pile on for him. It's going to be very difficult. He does not respond particularly well to, to this stuff. But I think that's also what's going to make him great in the long term. But... Um, yeah, that that just blew me. It blew me away. Not just how he was playing. Not you know, it's so easy to get carried away and be like, this is an amazing match. But it was, you've adapted your game in every single way you needed to. Just you know, just tweaks, but they all add up, and you're just executing it over and over and over again. And it wasn't like he just came on court and just blew his opponent away because sometimes we do see that with with younger players. They're able to just sort of just switch it on and just they're so free. But to actually ride out the ups and downs and everything going on. And it's, you know, I'm talking about the Sitsipas match, but this is the same for every round for Alcaraz. And, um, you know, so to be able to to live like that on court with, with that sort of player, talking about the world number three, Kane may not be at his best, but he's still playing a top 10 level. Um, yeah, ma- just amazing, amazing. Like, you know, I kind, of, I kind of feel bad for him that there are other 18-year-olds doing stuff as well. I think the one <laughs> thing... it should be, should just be the his. The one thing that's standing out about these young players, and we can have Alcaraz, we can put Emma Rakhani, the 18-year-old British player, we can put Leila Fernandez in there, we can add other names to it, is, is the belief that these players have got... Okay, so Emma Raducanu has been sailing through this tournament to this point. But Fernandez, who backed up a win against Naomi Osaka to mentally and physically be able to back up that win. How many times have we seen a player gets a, a scalp, a win of their career, and then they are just crushed by the, the emotional and physical weight of it and they don't pull through the next round? That match against Kerber, Angelique Kerber, was the most insane level of tennis match I have seen. I was running out of superlatives. I mean, they were like mirror images of each other, but it was, mm. it was beyond. She was a set and a breakdown, Fernandez. It was quite, but she had the belief. She stayed positive. Alcaraz kept going down to Goyovchek, kept coming back, and in the end won the final two sets, I think, for loss of just two games. It's the belief that they can do it. It's the belief that they can. It's just, it's wonderful to see that this generation are coming through saying, I should be here. I can do this. I can get rid of the negativity. I can forget that point. I can reset and go again. And that is something with, and we can put other young players into this, but just as those three in his example, that is really standing out. Yeah, I think, and particularly on the men's side, because we have had a few years and, you know, maybe this is going to come across as a bit harsh and a bit negative, but whatever, don't care. I think I know Um, who you're going to say. (laughs) But we have had a few years of young players doing incredibly well through the season. Somebody like Zverev, for example, but he's not the only one. And it just not working at slams. And basically, we've given the they've given the excuse, we've given the excuse. Best of five, it's totally different. It's it's so much more physically demanding, mentally demanding. And it, it's taken them years, it's taken Zverev years to get to the point where he's able to sort of tough out five set matches back to back and that he's reached a Grand Slam final. Remember, this guy has won multiple Masters events. He's won the Tour Finals. He was world number three as a teenager. Like, he is... It's unbelievable what he's achieved. Um, And, uh, yeah, we just sort of hit that period of time, didn't we, when we were, you know, even a sit-to-pass... 
you know, yeah, maybe Medvedev, Medvedev came through a little bit later on, so maybe it wasn't the same. But, you know, it's particularly the ones that sort of, you know, have won next gen. You know, look at Yannick Sinner at the moment as as well. I think, I'm not saying that people are making that excuse for Sinner because he's doing very well, but it's very easy for him to sort of make a third round and everybody go, well, he's still young and physically and stuff. And people forget that Nadal won French Open when he was 18 slash 19. I mean, he was 19, wasn't he? Because he was, he was born in May into the clay court season, obviously. Just, just birthed into the clay court season that's why he owns it but he um uh but he was 19 when he won it but only only just and yeah just sort of realizing that maybe we've been a bit well I mean not it's not for us to to criticize but maybe we've sort of just made those excuses and and gone oh that's why rather than actually and maybe they've done that as well because there hasn't been because we had that um, sort of, I've heard people call it the lost generation of the the, the players that are sort of now, I don't know what, they were born in like 1990-ish, something well, the, like 1992 Are you, are you sort of in the, the, the Dimitrovs, the Nishikuri, the Chiliches, who have all achieved sure. great things, but it, it just, and, and do you think part of that was, was just the weight of having those guys above them who were at that point in their prime? I mean, it must be crushing to a point to think it's going to be, you have a very slim chance of actually getting to that final, getting any of those titles because of their dominance, mm. whereas the the newer generation, they've sort of they've allowed to be eased into it because of the players who've gone before. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe, maybe they're just you know, seeing the opportunity more. But we're definitely seeing the level higher, younger, and you, you got to give Zverev a bit of credit for that because he was phenomenal at such a young age. But he, the one area that he just couldn't sort out were slams, and he seemed to like be okay with it. Like, oh no, it'll come. Uh, whereas, you know, some of the, you know, somebody like an Alcarath is is clearly physically, or maybe he's physically built different to Zverev. You can't really dictate when you're going to peak and and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, so I, I don't know. Maybe I am being a little bit harsh, but it is quite quite interesting because it 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 it's very in. It, yeah, as I say, it'd just be very easy with Alcarath and Sinner and go. Well, you give them a couple of years and then best of five sets they'll be there. Whereas actually, especially Alcarath is like, no, nah, I'm sort of fine. Now, while I'm very happy for a certain Dutch qualifier, I'm also getting very concerned about radio commentary <laughs> on a certain Dutch player who faces... I know, I know. <laughs> ...who faces Daniel Medvedev. And can I just say, Medvedev, wow, does he look good. He adjusts... His match against Dan Evans, Dan Evans didn't play badly, but Medvedev yep. is just... As Dan Evans said, it was just, just a different level. It was frightening. I think he could win it. Of course he could. I think he will. I think he I will think, win who, it. Remind me, who did you pick for the for the two? Well, Djokovic, and I'm sure. for the women's, uh, I think I picked Magarutha. So I went Djokovic and Andreescu, but I I agree with you. She's looking good. I, you could get two wins there. Well, I think I think Andreescu's looking like she's on for at least a, a well. I think she's on for, I think, on the final. I think it depends. It depends with Djokovic. I think we've got there's so much going. We're sort of flying from point to point here. But it, it, with Djokovic, it depends how much was he affected by everything at the Olympics and how much is the calendar slam on his mind. Because as we've said before, Djokovic beats Djokovic in these type of situations. You know, the Grand Slam that the five sets. So it'll be interesting as the matches get tougher and he goes deeper. How much that is on his mind or does he go into that full-on destruction mode which is terrifying but the the Dutch qualifier I um I did some radio commentary on 
just the last few points of his win over Diego Schwartzman, which he led by two sets of love and then took the fifth 6-1. It's, um, it's not the easiest of names, but in radio commentary, I, I think I said Dutch qualifier quite a lot because when, <laughs> when you're doing a quick point, to Schwartzman, done, said. But to say Botik van der Sandschlup, it, it's harder. I'm not even sure I nailed it that time. It's, it's a tricky one. Yeah, and of course, in radio commentary, you have to be, you're doing play by play. So you're trying to, to get every shot in and you need to attach names to the show, especially if somebody hits a winner. You have to attach names to the winner so that people know who's hit the winner. You can't just go, winner! <laughs> no one will know what's going on. So you are going to have to say that name quite a lot. Now, a lot of people would just go with, you see, but even that, even um, those two words, there was a little hesitation. Yeah, um, but I'm. It, I always get a little bit funny, and I, I, I always think that you should say the whole name. But isn't but... Botic the first name, and Van der Sandslup yeah. is the surname? Yeah, 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 no, I know, and I'm saying that some people would get rid of the Vander. I don't think you can. They can would you? just sound. Yeah, I don't think that's you like can. calling you. Now, well, I hear a, I hear a lot of people called Davidovich Fakina Fakina. Um, uh, I, just because it's easier, and I I don't really no. like that. I think it's it should be the full name and uh, see it as a see it as a challenge. You might need to warm up your mouth. You know how singers do those uh, warm ups, just so you can get around the words really really quickly. It'll feel like you're rapping or something. It's just the thing is, by the by the time I've I've said the name, maybe sort of four shots will have happened. I mean, it's 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 going to be all about timing. So that's uh, I look at incredible runnies going on, but that's. Oh, that's going to be interesting. Your man, Riley Opelka, still going? Yes. Yes. Not surprised. Thank you, everybody, for getting on board with Mr. Opelka. Last time I did radio commentary on Oscar Otter. It was at Roland Garros. Yeah. And, but when he had, um, or maybe still does have blonde hair. So when you, so mm-hmm. I'd say, so you're setting the scene in radio and I'd say the blonde otter steps up to the baseline. I'd just... Every time I'd sort of talk, I felt like I was either describing an otter or talking about breeds of otter. I mean, it, it got quite weird when I was doing radio. The tall otter, the, yes. the six foot five yeah. otter. The... the blonde otter. The As I say, yeah. at times I think this just sounds, um, so yeah, I need to. I like that. I don't. Have fun I don't with that. know any breeds of otter. Um, <laughs> a word, I think we should say a word on Naomi Osaka, beaten by Leila Fernandez, mm-hmm. who said afterwards she's going to step away for a little bit doesn't know when to pick up a, a racket again do you what did you take for that do you think that's do you think that's a good thing well it's not great is it hearing her saying things like this that she just she's clearly really struggling I mean okay not being happy after you win is definitely a concern but I do think that the relief after winning being the overwhelming feeling is quite normal um you know, it's something I've said before, doing what Fernandez is doing or doing what Raducanu's doing or Alcaraz is a lot of fun. And you can see it written all over their face. Being Djokovic and winning a third round or nearly losing a match or going a set down in the first round of, of Wimbledon or, um, you know, Osaka scraping through a match. It's not fun because if you're Fernandez and you win an epic against Kerber... You go, 
everyone's just on their feet, just standing ovation. How extraordinary, extraordinary, how amazing. If you're Osaka and you scrape through a three-set match, well, maybe, yeah, even against Kerber, to be honest with the expectation that's on Osaka, it's, it's, what do people think? They think, oh, she nearly lost that. They're not thinking, wow, amazing that she came through. They're going, oh, wow, she nearly went out. So everything changes everything changes and the idea that that i think that you can enjoy it i don't know i've never been there i've never been anywhere close i've got absolutely no idea but um you know the arthur ash crowd love an underdog everybody's an underdog against osaka apart from possibly ash barty but you know that that's that's how it goes and um you know the crowd were, were pretty supportive i think of, of fernandez in in that match so i don't know i mean <sighs> It must be insane what she's dealing with. The level of pressure and, and the, the different... Everything that goes with it. Ultimately, she doesn't need to play. She's earned so many millions of dollars that it's a choice for her to be playing. Every single tournament she plays, it's a choice for her to be there. So if it no longer seems to be the right choice for her, then she absolutely should should do what she thinks is right. I think in terms of how you feel after winning and losing... So I'm somebody who stopped playing because of mental health struggles a lot of it linked to my tennis obviously because that was 99% of my life um and for me it was also the reactions after winning and losing that uh made me realize that it was time to to step away um but for me I would win a match and I would be um initially sort of like yes I've won because I was very competitive in each match that I was playing so I was very competitive and I'd win and I sort of give it a fist pump and yes I'd won and as soon as I'd sort of just unclenched my fist I would just think oh god I've got another match tomorrow and I'd actually be sort of what were you dreading? Uh, concerned. What, what were and... you fearful of, and what were you dreading looking ahead to that well, next? It was match? just more. It was just more thinking. Oh man, I've got to play again. It was just. It was just that. Like that's the consequence of winning. So I had this really weird um, sort of juxtaposition because I was so desperate to win the match because I was very competitive. So I wanted to win the match in front of me, but it was what that caused. Um, and I think I said to you before on a different pod that I was more scared of success than I was of losing. <laughs> um, and it was about what that meant. And, and each time I'd win a match, it would be, oh, well, what comes with it? And if you do that at the grass court season, what does that mean being a Brit? You get more of this and more of that. And I don't want any of, I didn't want that. Um, so, you know, whatever it is, I mean, I cannot at all really relate it to what Osaka's thinking because ultimately she's feeling slightly differently to me. She's not feeling like that. She's just saying she's not enjoying the wins as much as she should be. Uh, and she's more down than she thinks she should be after losing. And it was the same in the reverse. I would lose a match and initially I'd be gutted. I'd walk up to the match and I'd be gutted to the net and be gutted because I was, I'd lost the match and I wanted to win. Um, and then I would just feel so relieved that I was, oh, I don't have to play any, I don't have to play another match. And that went on for a couple of months until I realised this is, this is not in any way good because ultimately I'm on court and deep down, I don't want to win this match as much as everything on the surface is being so competitive and fist pumping and working away and still playing. I mean, look, I stopped playing. I was at my highest ranking. I was 21 years old and at my career high. So, you know, but yeah, it wasn't like I was playing badly or anything like that. But so it's a bit different to to Osaka. But yeah, I mean, it's a bit concerning, um, really. I mean, we just want her to be happy. Um, if she can be happy in the world of tennis, I think that'd be amazing for the world of tennis. But 
if she can't be, then she can't. I couldn't. I mean, not as I say, not that I was operating at her level by any stretch, but I couldn't. I couldn't be happy in that environment and living that life. So that was done. Because that pressure on Osaka in the tennis world, it's not going to go away. I mean, she's a phenomenal no. talent. She's a Grand Slam winner. It, it's not. She is such a a public figure. She's such a superstar. She's already transcended the world of tennis. So that that pressure and in other areas of her life or in say my life it's not about winning or losing like it is on a tennis court that's always going to be there in tennis there's always going to be the questions as you say if you lose a match or that pressure when you scrape through and oh gosh only managed you know that pressure is is always going to be there at the level that that she's played she probably definitely probably came back too soon at the olympics but look she she lit the flame Mm. it was a home game she wasn't it would have meant and it did mean so much for her to be there, but she prob- she could have lit the flame and not played though. Could she? Hundred percent. She's Naomi Osaka. We've, the people have lit the flame who have not been competing in the event. They've been former athletes or whatever they've they've been to the sport. She could have absolutely done that and not played. But I I do. Um, I do think that there was probably a realization as well as you say that you actually can't run from whatever it is that she's feeling because even if you don't do the press conferences it doesn't change the situation yes you don't have to go and answer those questions and that's going to take away a little bit of stress but ultimately the majority of the stress is living your your life is very stressful it's very difficult it's very challenging like you know that's and that's it and she's clearly been been struggling with that so um yeah, it's just not very nice, is it? You just, yeah, no, just want her to be okay. It's not nice. You want her to be okay, but I imagine there's so many people demanding so many things of her. Her life is, is very crowded and it's it. there's probably a lot of noise. I think I've said this before. On court, it's probably quite quiet for her because she can step out there and, and she's alone. But it, it just feels the life is too crowded and she needs to find that balance and she needs to ultimately work out what makes her happy. It would be a massive loss if she decided that, that tennis just wasn't for her but ultimately she has to do she can't keep feeling like she's feeling the pressure is not going to go away in tennis questions will still be asked of tennis if if you lose a match whoever you are you're going to be asked about that defeat so she needs to and she said you know she's stepping away for time it's not the worst time to step away as the season effectively winds down because we don't have the 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 Asian swing and I'm not sure if if the WTA finals have found a home or going to find a home so it's it's not the worst time for her maybe just to take this break it'll be interesting to see how active she is in other areas but yeah she she's got to use the time to work out what she wants to do because you just don't want to see people that unhappy it's it's on yeah. such and she can do stage. whatever she wants yeah she can do whatever she wants so it'd be very um it'd be such a shame if she didn't do what she wanted to do if she felt like she was on this treadmill and couldn't get off and felt like because of sponsors and, and everything else, because, you know, one way to crank up the pressure is to sign multi-million dollar deals. Like that, that money's not coming to you for free. That money is coming to you to, to do stuff, to play, to compete, to win grand slams. That's why you can command so much money because you're essentially, or your agent is essentially saying to them, Hey, look, she's going to win 10 more grand slams. You want to get a piece of this. Um, and that is, that's, part of it so then when you do walk out at at the US Open sure it's (laughs) I bet bet it's it's totally different so yeah it would just be a real shame if she doesn't um 
yeah, make the right decisions for her. Can I tell you of a very special moment talking about winning? It's it's back to the Paralympics. I was working alongside former wheelchair player, British wheelchair player Louise Hunt. Now her fiance is Chris Skelly, and he was out in Tokyo. Uh, he's number one in world number one in judo. Missed out just on a medal in Rio. Was going for a medal, the biggest medal of all at the Paralympics in Tokyo. And Louise couldn't be there because of COVID. You know, no family or friends, which is so hard. It turned out that his gold medal match was on when we were in commentary. So poor old Louise. Mm. She's only known me for three days. We've been working together from like two o'clock in the morning in these weird hours. Suddenly, I'm all she's got for her future husband's gold medal match in Tokyo. And um, I was filming her watching the final because Channel 4 wanted to put some bits and pieces together. And can I just say what an incredible moment. He gets gold. I should say, I feel like it's a spoiler, but he got gold. Uh, the, the tears, the the everything, just to be such as, I said to her, it's amazing to share this moment with you. She wasn't with her friends or family. She's with me in a commentary box, in a basement. But it was mm-hmm. such a wonderful, wonderful moment for him to have achieved his dreams. And, mm. and even just how their life and the next, so we're talking about Asaka and the life she must lead and the noise that must surround her. Even for Louise and Chris, in the moments after he won the gold medal, suddenly the people contacting her to go on Good Morning Britain and the ITV News and the BBC News and The Last Leg, a show that's on in, in the UK that followed the day's action at the Paralympics. And then suddenly they're getting invited to the GQ Awards and, and Chris is Man of the Year when he flies in. And everything is incredible whirlwind that surrounded them from achieving the highest thing he can achieve in his sport. And she said, it's just, it's been wonderfully crazy with everything that starts to happen. So that's just like a little microcosm of what it must be like in Osaka's life every single day. Yeah, and I, I, I get that. And I, I mean, it just must be insane. However, you know, she does not have to do it. She's not you know, a member of the royal family and born into absolute madness and being the most famous six-year-old in the world. Do you know what I mean? As in, like, they don't have a choice um, in it uh, at all in terms of the level of fame that they can have. Like, there is an element of, of choice. And I know that it sort of happens as a byproduct because people just love playing tennis and then it just ends up that, that this stuff comes along with it. But, um, you know, as I say, she has a choice to... She, she can can do what she wants, I suppose, moving forward, which is great. Um, yeah, I just hope that she's able to. Can I just say, speaking of six-year-olds, mine have gone back <laughs> to school. Holidays are over. Um, and can I just say, to prepare you for when baby Rog slash Fernando goes to school, everything you have to remember. I thought I'd been really good. <laughs> Beginning of the holidays, knowing that I was going to Tokyo, it was getting busy, I thought I'll sort the school uniform out. So yeah. I sorted out the top half jumpers tops and everything and then suddenly with about four days to go I realized that one of the twins had a growth spurt tried his trousers on and they were well ankle grazers probably yeah. <laughs> and I thought I think this happens to you every uh, year does, though, isn't it? um and I suddenly thought that's it. so immediately I was kind of rushing around and I was sort of getting back from work having got up at two in the morning I was getting back at two in the afternoon saying can you try these trousers on we need to order these and all of the things you suddenly forget that you need the lists of things. And because I wasn't there for the first day yesterday, I laid it all out. Everything was there that they would need to go to school to take. But, oh, I forgot about that stress. Some holidays are a long time. You forget all those bits. You've got to remember the things to do. The So that's, yeah, that's back up and running now. So good they're back in school. 
New Year clothed. Exciting, clothed with trousers that fit. Um, I think they've got everything they need. I think we're all sort of, yeah, so I'm sort of, I'm now back into that sort of mode of after school clubs and what they need and don't forget this. And mom, what did you do? And we don't have this. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get all that. But I think, yeah, the first day they went in fully clothed, right outfit. They weren't late. It all went well. Wow. Yeah. Nailed that it. Was, well, I wasn't there, so I can't exactly take credit. I can for, <laughs> I can for laying the school uniform out. And actually sending a video to their dad, who was sitting next to me. And he said, why have you just sent me a video? I'm like, well, I'm just reminding you where everything is laid out and you've got everything here. He was like, okay. <laughs> so nice. everything was done. Everything was sent. So school is underway. We've got, well, I, I can't imagine what's going to happen in this US Open for the rest of the week. I genuinely can't imagine. Uh, a word, it's gonna be good, a word before we go. I know the match will have happened, but even if she, she loses... We still, a word on Emma Raducanu, a player, a person, not just a player, a person who you do know very well. And for people listening outside of the UK, just how, because they might be thinking, who is this name? And Just how impressive is it what she has done to this point? And as we speak, that has reached the round of 16. Oh, it's so impressive. She's a very impressive person. She has been since I... I've known her from when she was nine years old. Um, you know, she grew up locally to where uh, I was. I was coaching at a similar place. I was part of her team for ooh, about 18 months or, or so. So I was on court with her a few times a week um, when she was a teenager. And uh, she's always blown me away with just who she is as a person. I mean, let alone the tennis. Okay, the ability on the court was always so sky high, but... Do you know what? You do see quite a few people come through with maybe not quite the same level of ability, but just, you know, with something in their game that, you know, that is real talent. Um, but it's her. It's about how she is, her level of application, her level, her the, the demand that she has on everybody that works with her, that she wants to get the best out of them and take their information. And I think the biggest thing for me, and this is, this is where I f- find it fascinating, is that the weaknesses that she had when she was younger or the, the areas that she needed to work on are no longer areas that she needs to work on. So as in, she just worked on it and then got it and moved on. Whereas for most players, if you have any sort of weakness or whatever your most significant weakness is, it will probably be something you are battling with your entire career. Um, you know, you look at uh, Matteo Berrettini, how well he has developed that backhand but it, it's still going to be the side everybody goes to all the time. That is his game and that's his vulnerability. And yes, his backhand slice is great and all these different things. Um, and it's similar with, well, it's not similar. It's completely opposite with, with Emma, as in the bits that she's wor- worked on. She's she's that capable that she's worked them out. She's figured it out and she does it over and over again. And I know the way that she works and it's pretty much... You know, she'll spend some time trying to understand something you're trying to coach her. But once she's got it, she's got it. And she pretty much, you don't need to say anything on it again. Whereas for with most players, you are saying it over and over and over again, day after day, week after week, month after month. And you get to the point where you're like, I've been saying this for six months. Like you've got to take it on. And this is players of a really, really high level as well. Um, and it's just sort of part of it. But yeah, I mean, whenever she nails it in practice, where she finally gets it after a couple of weeks or a couple of days or a couple of hours, whatever it may be, she just sort of goes, okay, got it, thanks. And then 
and that's it. And then you just, as I say, you just never have to go back to it again. And watching her play now and, you know, looking at the things that I know that she's been working on, they're just, it's, it's gone. Okay. You can argue that she's very, very confident. What happens when she gets nervous? What happens when she's playing badly? Do those weaknesses come up again? Because they do tend to with, with a lot of players. So we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, but yeah. She's phenomenal. I'm so excited for her and I was, I've been lucky enough to be commentating on her matches and you know, knowing her as well as I do uh, and as I say, for such a long time and knowing the parents well and everything. Oh, yeah, I was quite emotional, to be honest, being able to see her over the line. I mean, the display yeah, in her last match was just outstanding. So, you know, she got her fourth round tonight um, and as I say, this will be released after that, but it doesn't matter. I mean, she's an absolute superstar knew she was going to be a superstar um but yeah sky's the limit can't wait and she also managed to get an a star in maths and an a in her economics a levels i mean even without a full-time oh, yeah. tennis career i wouldn't have got anywhere near that i probably wouldn't even have been able allowed to take them i mean this is no she's so she's so bright she'd honestly she'll say things like oh yeah i've been studying and i'm like you don't need you'd turn up and you'd still be fine but of course she's uh, she's very dedicated she's she's very uh uh, she's very bright. I mean, that comes across with you know how she talks and you know how she figures out matches, and it's been amazing to watch her deliver the level that she has against in the first three rounds, three completely different game styles coming at her. Um, she'll have another one with with Shelby, another different one. Will this one p- present more of a challenge? If it doesn't, we're running out of game styles to, to to chuck at her. To be honest, so she loves a challenge. She got a great one tonight. Do you want to change your prediction because you went Muguruza? Would you like a, a a second week pick? And would you like to change yeah. Djokovic to Medvedev? You have one opportunity. I think. Now. I think every slam I've had to have a second week pick because my first one's gone out in the first week. And Muguruza was playing so, so well. well. I was so excited. So well. I almost in my head still think she's in. No, she. <laughs> I still think she's going to she win. She fell to my player of the year. <laughs> I know. On debut. I know. So would you like? Uh, would you like a second week woman? Boy. A second week woman. Oh, what? Oof. Oh, it's 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 almost too difficult. I mean, it's literally stick a pin in it, isn't it? What else? What else can you do? Um, Who's who's playing tonight then? I, I think, to be honest, my favourite now for the title is Andrescu. That, I, that genuinely, I think she's she plays she's Maria Sakkari in her round of sixteen. That'll be fun. Pliskova Pavlichenkova. Well, she could be out. Maybe I should pick someone in the other half because she could be out uh, by the time this goes out. So in the other half, you can have Svitolina Fernandez, the French Open champion, or the world number two Sabalenka. Oh. It, it's impossible, oh, isn't it? it when you is when you say stick a pin in it, it's the truest thing of this whole podcast because you genuinely could right now. I'll go with Sabalenka. You're sticking with wait, who did you Andrescu. have? Andrescu. Yes, I'll, I'll yeah, stick. So you can stick. And, with and her. You, would you like to go from Djokovic to Medvedev? I sort of would. Yeah, yeah? you're I doing would. it. I'd you're quite doing like it. To. I mean, you're why going? not? Why not All go right. somewhere? So you're going. Different. And the other, I'm gone. the other. So you've switched. And the other thing you need to get before I can change. Baby Rog to baby Fernando. I need to see the video of the Fernando Raw. Until then, he's still going to be baby Rog. Okay, well, I'll, I'll try. It's very difficult. You know what it's like. As soon as the camera comes out, he just starts doing something else. So <laughs> I'll try. I look forward to the video. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'll try. Bye. <laughs> 